Yes, of course. Burl Bearer. <laughs> I've known a few writers who were rogues and vagabonds. And I'm Roger Moore. I didn't supply the microphone. Oh, hi. I'm Burl Bearer, and I sound great, despite what it says on the iTunes reviews, <laughs> where it says I'm obnoxious. <laughs> of course, speaking people sounding good and be obnoxious. Good afternoon. Good evening, Burl Bearer. Are you still in Seattle having fun? Um, I have, I have fun. I have a just had a pizza delivered. I'm outside in Pioneer Square, Seattle, Washington, where years ago, decades ago, when Seattle was built underneath the ground for safety purposes, <laughs> there was a massive fire. And the first to rush out to save the city from this devastation were the uh, prostitutes that made this country great. And uh, therefore, there is a a statue honoring Seattle's prostitutes somewhere here in Pioneer Square. I was going to personally sign it and thank them myself and autograph it, but I haven't found the statue yet. And maybe a statue of limitations. <clears throat> yeah, probably, bur- probably, probably buried next to Pat O'Day. <laughs> probably. Pat would know. There is uh, a statue, a grievant image of Jimi Hendrix on... Um, uh, excuse me, Broadway Avenue, in front of what used to be, uh, what was it, AEI? This is a, uh, like a Muzak company. With a statue of Jimi Hendrix on his knees, strangling his guitar. Out of animosity, no doubt. <laughs> and, uh, that's still there. That one's still there. Yeah, I was supposed to have lunch with Pat today, but Pat passed away. Which also explains why I didn't answer my emails. Ah. So uh, we had to pass on that one. But uh, we also went to Walla Walla, Washington, my uh, my hometown, the site of some of the most interesting murders in Washington state history. Ah. Now, you think Seattle's had some strange murders in Portland. The Northwest seems to have some sort of a Kentucky Fried franchise on Central Town. The theory behind that is that it's just close to the edge as you can go in the United States without falling off the edge. Well, while I had two at least fascinating murders, one was the murder of a Mrs. Zacharias, whose house was totally ripped to shreds. She was beaten to death, poor thing, and sexually violated with a broom handle. These the broom handles are inanimate objects. This was not done on purpose by the broom handle, but done by assistance from a human being. Now, there was no one immediately arrested at that murder. Except four years later, just after her 18th birthday, the 14-year-old neighbor girl was arrested and charged with the murder of Mrs. Zacharias. After extensive conversations with the police uh, detectives who arrested her, they confided in me, being as the people who tend to do that, that they never expected her to be found guilty because there was no evidence against her. Um, but she was. She was found guilty and sentenced to life in prison without parole. Uh, there was enough objections to this. There was a second trial, which she again was found guilty for no apparent reason. Eventually, 27 years later, the governor of the state of Washington uh, let her out. Community sentence, let her go. Just as if she was, you know, Michael Flynn or Roger Stone or somebody. Uh, so she's out. And uh, it turns out the um, when she was found guilty of this murder, which she 
commit, obviously. The cops went to her and said, we know you didn't really do this murder, and we didn't expect you to be found guilty, but uh, we bet that you know uh, who did it, which we think we know, too, and it was uh, Mr. So-and-so and Mr. So-and-so. Motive being there was a rumor that Mrs. Zacharias had a fortune buried in the walls of her house, which explains why the house was torn to shreds. And she was beaten, um, they wanted her to tell where the, where the fortune was hidden. She said, well, I would gladly testify against those guys, except I wasn't even there. <laughs> I didn't kill the lady, I wasn't there, I was 14 years old. I lived next door. But she went to prison anyway for 20 years till the government let her out. How about that? So why, um, why did the police and the prosecution pursue this if they know she was innocent? Uh, gave them something to do. That's not, a, that's not enough of an put, excuse, Pearl. If they put pressure on her, she would come forward and testify against the other guys that they thought maybe really did it. They were already in prison by this time. So... It was all thing was stupid. Yeah, and then the girl did like 20 years in prison. Testifying against her was the 10-year-old neighbor girl, who at the time was totally wrong. So that a fellow who was not there at all, but was pretending to be his brother, who had been over there earlier that day with the neighbor girl. But he didn't want to say that he was there, so he had his brother pretend he was him in court. Pretty clever. I got all this. I got the letters back and forth between the, the woman and her attorney, which detailed all of these things that the attorney found out. And went, this is what it's going to be. I've never seen in my entire life. Yeah, and this, is, really the kind of, this is the kind of crap this you know, that, that, that bolsters the defund the police. If it's this kind of bolsters you know, the what? overtly corrupt. Yeah. You know. Something wrong in that. Investigation of that case. The other one, and this is one my daughter is intimately and tragically familiar with, familiar in any event, being as a victim, had been a roommate. So I will hand uh, the microphone, alias phone, to her, and she can tell you the story, okay? That would be lovely. Hello. Hey, why don't you introduce yourself? Introduce oh, so yourself. I am, to I am Amelia Bearer, Burl's lovely daughter. Now wait a minute. Hold up. And Hold up one second. Uh, okay. Are you telling me that the legendary Burl Bear was allowed to procreate? He was. He was. No, wow. Not, how'd that happen? What, Stephen? I don't want to know. I mean, really. I try to try to picture it as little as possible. <laughs> <laughs> yes, but yes, he had children. Scary enough. Mm. Um, no. So when we were in Walla Walla, I discovered that one of my former roommates, uh, a very kind of snarky gay boy named Kyle, who uh, was a Whitman graduate and worked for Whitman College, had been murdered. Uh, it was an axe murder. happened a year ago. Uh, a 23-year-old methamphetamine addict had walked up to the house, stopped over at the uh, next door neighbors and smoked a bowl, asked if he could borrow a shovel and an axe. He had some things to do next door. They lent them to him, and then he went next door and um, 
murdered my former roommate Kyle with an axe and then cut him up and put him inside of a cooler, actually three coolers, and then stacked those coolers in the closet of the living room and then stole his truck. So when his roommates, Josh and Kat, came home to discover in July in Walla Walla that, you know, their roommate was cut up and in their dining or living room closet, it was uh, quickly tracked down because the kid drove off in his truck. But he was sentenced uh, last week. He got 333 months. So he'll get out when he's 50, Nick. <clears throat> so wait a minute. He hacks somebody up with an axe and only gets, yes. what, uh, 20 years? Yes, yes. They said the mitigation was the... Um, Meth psychosis. <clears throat> I think it's more psychotic than psychosis. Exactly, meth psychotic. Less, less meth psychosis, more meth psychotic, yes. <laughs> yeah, I agree with that one, Mark. Well. Yeah, but that's the, um, the latest news fit to print in Walla Walla. Um, did, you, did you hear um, if, if the individual had any motive other than the truck? So I had no idea why he did it, other than delusions and potentially desire for his 1980s um, Datsun truck. Well, I mean, it wasn't even a nice said, truck. He could have said, I got an axe here, your choice. Yeah. <laughs> no, I ta I'm taking the truck, and the choice is yours. Yeah. You think, and what's weirder is, you know, they went to the neighbors, and they asked them, you know, why did you lend this guy who didn't live there and you didn't know? Why did you lend him a shovel and an axe? Oh, we thought he had something to do. Mm. You know, and he, he borrowed the murder weapon from the neighbors. Yeah. Mm. Uh, Very any odd. indications he may have harmed others? No, no, no prior record at all. So this is a one and done. Yeah, one and done. Yeah. They don't even know how he knew Kyle. Or if he knew Kyle. Yeah, the roommates didn't shed any light on the subject, I suspect. Well, and I, I was, we saw one of the roommates, Josh, yesterday. A cat promptly, you know, packed up her possessions and left town. Because it's pretty upsetting to come home, you know, because neither, neither of Kyle's roommates were home that weekend. They both had gone out of town. So you come home and find your living room covered in blood and your roommate dead in the closet in pieces. Yeah, so didn't really want to stick around. That's, that's horrible. It's really, really bad. You've had and some. A lot other... of people are very upset because you know, Walla Walla is the kind of town where you leave your doors and uh, open and unlocked, and he had every door and window open because it was a summer day. It was hot. Yeah, it's uh, it's uh, 107 here. Yeah, yeah. So you you understand? Yeah. Yikes. 
I'm handing uh, the microphone back to uh, the one born on records and raised to rock and roll. Hold on. That's me. I thought I thought oh, more no. he was born on Adderall, but that's another subject. Yeah, I'm needing a pizza. What was that, Mark? I think I say that you instead of you, know, you were more born on Adderall than rock and roll. Yeah, yeah, Adderall added up. <laughs> uh, actually, the, the meth psychosis is not actually caused by the methamphetamine. What it actually is is not meth psychosis; it is sleep deprivation psychosis. Um, research has shown that methamphetamine, instead of being a perfectly legal medication, does not cause violent behavior uh, or psychosis. However, people who do a lot of methamphetamines or amphetamines or caffeine uh, tend not to sleep, and they will go days without sleep and reach the point where they are psychotic and delusional due to lack of sleep, not from the ingestion of the stimulant that made them decide to stay awake. So that's your scientific update on that case. It's interesting because that, that might explain my uh, my murderous rampage sprees because yeah, I don't sleep could much. Be. Or maybe someone gave him uh, uh, Xanax. <laughs> when I was in the hospital, to keep me calm, the doctor said, here, let's give you a Xanax. Well, instead of making me calm, it made me want to kill everybody in the hospital, <laughs> which is... Not a totally unique response to that medication, but a a documented but rare one. These people violent, homicidal, <laughs> instead of calm. Uh, we have people that play cards with us that appear after a period of time to have that dilute. That one of my favorite memories of being in the lights up lounge, Bad Allen's backyard, the Philzum and Cino, was the one. <laughs> Grizzly Adams' son did something wrong with his mouth, and Matt punched him, which is far more entertaining than Lori doing something wrong with his mouth, and Matt punching her. <laughs> well, we've seen which enough is of more that. common, but not as entertaining. Hmm. But I kept waiting. I, I, I've never met the, uh, Grizzly Adams' son again, but I do recall that throughout the entire afternoon, Don Wolfman, world's greatest divorce attorney, and uh, my uh, original co-host on True Crime Uncensored, so given me looks like, maybe we better get the hell out of here before this place explodes. <laughs> and, uh, reasonable, one, uh, as soon as uh, this individual made disparaging remarks about Matt's daughter, it was over. <laughs> That's right. He wanted to, um, he made some reference regarding Matt's daughter, yep. which uh, yeah. may be understandable, but not appropriate. <laughs> and uh, uh, they've been drinking tequila. And uh, Don Waldman said to me, the tequila is going to make them violent and angry and irrational. And he left. He took off. And uh, with that, we wasn't there, I don't think, with a violent exchange. First that in history, it was one of my all-time favorite <clears throat> Matt Allen Outlaw radio programs. And with a tinge of true crime to it. Because the behavior was criminal, not by Matt, but by Grizzly Adam's son. What's the actual way? Grizzly Adam's Dan Haggerty or somebody? Yeah. Am I right, Dan Haggerty? I believe that's the case, sir. Speaking, yeah. speaking of cases, you're working on a lovely case with your co-author, 
Yes. Uh, why, don't you, uh, why don't you tell us what's going on there? Okay. You got a lot of runaways. Runaways run away. They do that. Ah. Where do they go? For some reason, a lot of them go to Hollywood. I don't know if they think they're going to become stars or if they're going to get adopted by a star or what the hell it is. But there was this kid, 11 years old, runs away from home and goes to Hollywood. And um, he picks as his surrogate mother figure a, uh, a fairly older woman, namely 15, 16, who would also run away from home, and they become close friends. Well, as time goes on, and the kid gets older, he gets himself a girlfriend, the girlfriend gets pregnant by him. They're living on the street, and these uh, Russian guys seem so friendly to them, get them motel rooms to stay in, get them meals, etc. kind of, you know, kind of, kind of the way, uh, kind of the way a predator uh, grooms the victims, you know. Uh, what the deal with these uh, Gorshigations, Pearl Bear alleges, and what has yet to prove, but what alleges in the book, is they had a relative in uh, prison for some bizarre scams, and if these two Gorshigations actually became federal agents, confidential informants, they could get credits for the number of people they got busted and have those credits applied to getting the relative out of prison. So that's exactly what they were doing. They became registered with the DEA as confidential informants and actually sworn in as federal agents. Meanwhile, they're still low-level uh, Russian American gangsters. Uh, and then there is a, a murder, a murder most foul in uh, Hollywood of a fellow uh, in his, uh, apparently in his, uh, apartment. Apartment is kind of trashed. The guy who's murdered, however, isn't. He's just dead and uh, reclining on the bed uh, without any signs of a struggle or forced entry to the apartment, strangely enough. And the guy who calls in the discovery of the body and the, uh, and the murder is one of these two Russian gangster guys. And who gets uh, arrested and convicted of the murder? The uh, semi-retarded, um, delayed, mostly, etc. runaway kid. And his girlfriend, who's pregnant with his child, is told unless you testify against him, we're taking away your kid. Well, it's been 18 years. The kid is still in prison. And according to the research by Frank C. Gerardo and myself, there is something really strange about this case. It just doesn't ring true. Uh, and the guy that they wanted out of prison, the, Europe, the Russian guys did, they had enough credits from having solved this murder that their um, charming relative got released from prison and is currently quite popular on the professional poker circuit. So how about that? Wow. Uh, you're going to have to fill me in on the name uh, off air. Yeah. Yes. Uh, we don't want people coming after us yet because we haven't submitted the book, so it has to go through a strong legal review. So to make sure we stay alleged and all that stuff before we get sued. But uh, I think it's going to be, if it works, a good exoneration book, maybe get this kid out of prison and 
which I kid anymore, have some uh, little justice going on. Meanwhile, our pal Punch, uh, uh, the world's second greatest diamond thief, uh, couldn't do the show today. We asked him to participate. But he and uh, Sean Sullivan, a.k.a. Layer Cake New York, were on the way to the Vizcaya Historical Museum in Florida uh, with Punch's mom. And it was Punch's mom and Punch's dad who were arrested and charged with uh, suspicion of possession of stolen merchandise (laughs) when after the Vizcaya Museum heist and some of the Vizcaya Museum uh, silver artifacts that once belonged to Napoleon were found in their apartment. There was never any direct linkage between them and the actual heist because as my forthcoming book, Stealing Manhattan, will reveal there was no heist, for real. Uh, the, there was a guard working there who had severe gambling debt from uh, uh, a gangster known as uh, The Hook. And uh, Hook Almond, I think his last name was. And uh, in order to pay off his gambling debts, he was selling off stuff from the museum, which is not exactly ethical. But uh, he had uh, put a bunch of stuff with consignment, on consignment rather, with Punch's dad, who did a lot of dealing in uh, antique silver and valuable silver artifacts. And the cops actually went to Punch's dad, not because it was sus- they suspected him of stealing anything, but because he was very wealthy. They thought he might be a little bit shady, and so they wanted to extort $6,000 cash from him. And when he said, I'm sorry, I don't have six grand cash, they stole over a million dollars of antiques, uh, valuable artwork, et cetera, from him. Which turned out quite well in the long run because because of that faux pas on the part of the allegedly corrupt police officers, the mafia families in New York made sure that Punch's dad was forever protected. He had five offices in the Diamond District, six crews uh, robbing uh, the Diamond District, and was never hassled once by the cops. Let him alone completely. See, the police would buy him dinner. Say, remember, Mr. Stan, uh, all the guys who crews have to have uh, real jobs and not just be diamond thieves for a living. <laughs> okay. Wow. So uh, that's what Punch is right now. Punch and his mom, who, by the way, in case she's listening, Baby, you're gorgeous. She really is gorgeous. And being that I'm 73 and she's in her 60s, she's a young chick to me. <laughs> and I think she's hot. <laughs> you know, you never thought when you were younger that a 60-some-year-old woman would look hot to you? Well, when you're 73, they do. <laughs> I'll keep that in mind. Uh, keep that in mind when you get to be my Unfortunately... I will do everything I can to get it out of my mind, but I don't think I'll... <laughs> get that image out of your mind. Hey, if you're 85 and she's 79, she looks hot. <laughs> you're a baby. You're a cradle robber. Cradle robber, that's right. Rather the cradle. And the rocks the cradle. Hey, speaking of the hand that rocks the cradle, we said Rebecca De Mornay. Excellent movie. Yeah. That's a movie. Yes. Um, a chance to see... The other mother was asthmatic, I remember. Yes, yes, she was. I always think of that. Every time I have an asthma attack, I need my rescue inhaler. I think of that. One of my favorite scenes in that movie is when she's alone in the bathroom stall and throws a fit, banging on the wall and kicking and screaming and just totally out of her mind. 
the exact same scene is done in the movie Orphan, which is basically a simply a variation on the plot of Hand That Rocks the Cradle. So as a tribute to Hand That Rocks the Cradle, they do that exact same scene. Ah. How about that? Is I think that was totally uninteresting. Um, What's that? Do you, did you see the remake? Uh, um, oh, jeez. Nick Nolte was uh, a prosecutor who who railroaded a, um, um, not uh, Nicholson, but the uh, other the other famous uh, actor. He did he did all the Scorsese movies. Okay, wait a second. Yeah, I'm not going to tell you. There's a movie with Luke Nolte as a prosecutor. Yeah, and, you know, it's a, it was a remake of a movie uh, where the bad guy gets out of jail and, uh, and torments the The remake family. of the movie where the bad guy gets out of jail. Oh, 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 oh. Cape, uh, Cape Fear. Fear. Cape Fear. The remake of a movie that was originally with Robert Mitchum. Yes, that was originally Robert Mitchum. Uh, and in then the it was sequel. remade with Nick Nolte and Robert De Niro. Yeah, and then in the and Juliet, uh, Juliet Moore. And the, the scene, the scene where where he go where the bad guy goes into the uh, auditorium with uh, with Nolte's daughter uh, was truly uh, riveting. Because oh. you don't know if he's going to do something bad to her or not. Really well set up. We were discussing remakes just last night. And we universally believe that the world's worst remake is the Nicolas Cage remake of Wicker Man. Oh, God, it was horrible. Yes, they totally gutted the movie, or gutted the story, rather, yeah. of everything that was important to the film, the story. And to take out the whole motivation... Of the entire plot. Yeah, well, you know, the whole thing is the setup for the detective to become the next Wicker Man, to be the next sacrifice. Well, yeah, but it made sense in the original. Yeah. But in this, it was, it didn't make it, it was stupid. Stupid, 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 stupid. <laughs> mm. I, think, uh, I think the Ghostbusters sequel with the all-woman cast was up there. Oh, well, that was a sequel. That was a remake. Yeah, it was just bad. Ghostbusters with uh, the all-female cast. Yeah. That was a remake and a sequel. I thought they should have done a sequel. Um, well, they, they did. Um, yeah, it's tough to get everyone together. What's uh, that? To do, a new mo- to do a new one. I can't hear you all It was tough to get the uh, all of the cast together. Uh Murray and uh, Aykroyd and uh, Aykroyd and Eddie uh, Hudson. Well, they did a cameo. So Gordon Weaver did a cameo. Bill Murray did a cameo mm. in the movie. Yeah, I'm that's one of my favorite lines uh, in movies is in the original Ghostbuster. After mm-hmm. the Stay Puff uh, Marshmallow Man explodes. Uh-huh. And then uh, I, I think it was, I think it was uh, either Murray or Ackroyd. One of them looks at the camera and goes, I feel like the back seat of a taxi. New York taxi, yeah. Because he's covered in all it's this. It's a great film. line. <laughs> and it's true, too. 
know, understanding. Although, he's a nice guy I am. Uh, I got into a, a, a New York taxi, and a girl had dropped her wallet or checkbook, whatever. It was on the floor of the back seat. And I could, they had just got out and I was getting in. I could still see him up at the way up the end of the street. So I grabbed the thing and I ran. I could run in those days. And I ran and caught up with her and I said, Miss, Miss, you left this in the taxi. She was so stunned that I did that. So stunned that I did that and rescued her checkbook and gave it to her. I probably could have got a official reward out of it. Yeah. <laughs> but I'm just a nice gentleman. Yeah, there's, uh, uh, <clears throat> years ago in Vegas, there, I'll refrain from identifying the celebrity, but at the time, he was, this individual was world-renowned, uh, and they're walking through the Caesar's Palace uh, um, entry. They're, they're heading out the door, and this individual's wife drops her, drops her clutch. And, so, you know, just somebody else that was there picked it up and started toward them to, to give it back. And all hell break loose. Security, the, the, this individual's security guards. I mean, you know, here's somebody just being nice, and then, you know, all of a sudden he's buried in 800 pounds of, of testosterone. Oh, he's, he's, and I have the image in my head. He's on the ground. You can see nothing of him but his arm in the clutch. <laughs> and it's mm. funny. Uh, eventually, eventually they got off, dusted him off, and then the celebrity came back and said thank you. Um, the rumor is that the guy, that this individual paid the the patron's hotel bill, but that was just rumor. Did he win? Yeah, there was there was rumor floating around that the celebrity paid this individual's hotel bill. That you know we don't know one of them. Paid him a nice reward. Yeah. Mm. But you know, it's you know you, you know the story of the mm. of the three legged pig. Uh -huh. The three legged pig. The three legged kid. Pig, you know, you know, hog. Oh. You know, uh, oh, pig. Piglet, you know, a pig. You know, like Arnold on Green Acres. Yeah. Yeah, yes. Yeah, so a, a fella is driving through rural America, farmland everywhere, and off of the distance mm. he sees the farmer on his, uh, you know, his large combine, you know, chewing up the wheat, and there sitting next to him is a pig with, you know, which looks like peg legs. So he stops, mm. flags him down, and says, What's. I'm sorry, but what's with your friend here? He says, oh, Harold? Let me tell you. This this fella is amazing. One night, um, the uh, our, our barn caught on fire, and I went in to save the horses and succumb. And Harold grabbed me and dragged me out of the of the barn, saved my life. And, and and the man says, "Well, that's just amazing." But what's with it? What's with the legs? And then another time, I was out working on the, working on the fields and. The combine I'm driving broke down, and I'm in the front trying to clear the debris when it slips into gear and it's going to slice me to ribbons. And there's, there's Harold. He drags me to safety. 
And I'm going, well, that's just amazing. That's incredible. But what's wrong here? What, what happened? And he said, well, if you had a pig that was this amazing, would you eat him all at once? That's right. No, you wouldn't. No good deed. <laughs> no good deed goes unpunished. <laughs> I like that. Is that probably a true story? I have no idea. It's just a joke. There, there is a, a thing that they have every year of, like, the year's best joke. Yeah. And one year, I remember, the guy's out hunting with his friend and accidentally shoots him. And calls back on, what did I accidentally shot my friend hunting? They go, is he dead? There's hold on a second. <laughs> okay, now, now what? <laughs> uh, that particular joke about the pig is near to my heart. Because uh, <clears throat> my good friend that I bought my home from, who's pa who passed away from um, Parkinson's, uh, gave me a present one year of a pig with a pig leg. It's in my house. Uh, because you know, we work together and we often saw if you did something great, you get punished for it. <laughs> so I have a, a pig, pig with one pig. So what else? What else are you doing there in Seattle, Burl? What are you doing? Going? Well, we saw my my brother. We uh, tried to see Pat O'Day, but he died. So my son uh, looked up some of my old drug dealers. You know, some of the old hookers I used to know. Um, kind of like old home week. Mm. And uh, now, when we finish this dynamic radio show, I do a, a favor to ask of our fans, those of you who love this show, and listen to it, uh, or endure it every week. Uh, you should write a good review of this, because the reviews of this show are on iTunes, or that's going to go kill somebody. <laughs> I'm used to having good reviews. Maybe once in a while, my books will get a review that says, I've never written a book review before, but this book is so dreadful, I have to write a book review to say don't buy it. This by someone, of course, who's never read the book. This, however, is by people who have listened to our show and are horrifyingly offended by it. <laughs> uh, do you ever check your email? Where's whose email? Yours. What is my email? No. Uh, do you ever check your email? Occasionally. Well, I did send you, not, not this week, but the previous week, I sent you an email to your Gmail account. With two yeah. books uh, that looked very interesting for you to uh, see if we can get interviews. Oh, Matt sent that? I sent it. Oh, you sent it. I was just saying, I thought Matt was illiterate. <laughs> no. <laughs> Matt, and Matt knows how to read. He just chooses not to. Oh, yeah. Uh, he knows how to read a, a what they call a programming wheel that says it at uh, 29.30 after the hour, a little tiny pie slice that says, Elements of Humor. <laughs> I actually saw a format wheel like that one time. Elements of Humor. I sent Not you... full humor, <laughs> but Elements. <laughs> Hopefully he tells the boomerang joke, which is my favorite. So I sent you, you uh, I sent you two books... Yeah. One, uh, a story about Elliot Ness and his search for the Mad Butcher. Oh. Which looked interesting. That sounds interesting. And then... Well, what was the other uh, one? Hello? 
Hello. Sally at Ness. I'm here. I'm looking for a... Yeah. Let's hear the one, Mark. I'm looking here. Um, American predator, predator, the story of supposedly the most prolific serial killer that we've never heard about. Whoa. So, Those both um, sound good. So check your email. It's on your Gmail account. And see if we can get some interesting guests on, because, frankly... Well, we'll get these people on right we're on, not on the air. What? We'll get these people on the air. Well, then let's do but it. But meanwhile, if if, uh, if you listen to this program and you're able to tolerate it more than others, uh, I suggest that uh, you write a review of the show <laughs> for the iTunes people and tell them how wonderful it is. I'm working on it right. I'm working them. on my review right now. Uh, oh, it, it says, say you know, even though I'm the coast of the show, run the other direction. <laughs> yeah. There's horrible things about it. <laughs> we got like a 3.5 rating out of 5 possible. Uh, so, which means there's some really good ones. They just say things like, Wow, really glad I found you guys. I heard about you from Dan Zapansky. Which is great, because everyone loves Dan Zapansky, and he loves us. So. I, um, I, have to ta I have to have extra uh, five-hour energies when I do research and have to listen uh -huh. to this show for an hour and a half. Yeah, that just puts you right up. Oh, no, he doesn't. <laughs> I, uh, Dan's great. In fact, we, we did interviews with the lady who wrote the Encyclopedia... Uh, World Encyclopedia of Serial Killers. Right, which never and made. Both times we yeah, never hit the air. Uh, years ago, we did a show on Jimmy Hoffa. Uh, same problem. And Dan said, simple, just take my show, take their answers. It's going to be the same for whoever interviews them. And put your questions on and use the, the answers for my show. And I said, okay, we'll do that with uh, the serial killer lady when I get a chance. Dan's very supportive of our program. He's a wonderful guy. So there. Mm. Love it or leave it. And all the being in Seattle, I've been where supposedly everything's so problematic, you know? Everything's fine. Mm. <laughs> fine. Yeah, but you're nowhere near where all of the silliness is going on. Yeah, right. All the windows are boarded up and business as usual. Mm. Everyone's fine and dandy. Same thing in Portland. Once they got the the unidentified Savak secret police out of town, things calmed down. I don't know who the hell they were. We have some great videos of people being shoved into unmarked vans and taken away to un unknown locations. <laughs> Welcome to America. Do mm. <coughs> so, you have the papers? I was also happy to see that Kamala Harris is now black. <laughs> she wasn't a couple weeks ago, but she is now. Well... Well, what is she, Puerto Rican? No, she's uh, Asian. Asian. Ah. Well. But she looks black, and that's close enough. There's actually an excellent article written uh, years ago, several years ago, by uh, an Asian commentator on about Kamala Harris being Asian, and why she's always identified only as being black, but she's primarily Asian, is because blacks are perceived as the most put-upon minority in America, and if you look it up like you're black, uh, like Tiger Woods, uh, that's what they designate you as in the media mm -hmm. press. 
But Tiger Woods would always object and say, you know, I'm also, you know, Asian and Serbo Croatian and uh I'm also the owner. And Irish. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm with I'm with David Huddleston here. We don't want the Irish. Yeah. So uh next week I'll try to have one of those uh people who wrote those books you were telling me about. Yeah, well see if you can find the email. Let me know if you can't find it and I'll resend it. Okay. I sent it, sure it on the seventh. Oh, that should be easy to find the day before my birthday. How old am I now? How old enough? I... 73. Can you believe that? I know. Because uh, amongst all the people that, that circle this show, um, you are at the top of our death pool. Not uh, Howard and, and, uh, <laughs> and Don. No, Howard died, Howard died young. He was younger than me already. So was Don Holden was younger than me. And he died. It's not my fault that either one of those co-hosts died. Uh, you know, I was in it for that. I thought I was going to be the one to die because I was the one having the quadruple bypass and a new heart valve surgery when Howard came to visit me in the hospital. I get out of the hospital and he died. Yeah, that good. doesn't make any sense. Not good, not good. But you can feel his presence uh, at the uh, radio show, if you were sensitive to that kind of thing, you could almost hear him <laughs> rolling his eyes and wanting to strangle Kipadana. <laughs> it's uh, one of those Robert Lloyd Patterson never goes away. That's that's a sad story. I um, yeah, I would, talk to, I would talk to Kip on the phone, and it's just a shame that he just you know he went nuts. Yeah, he did. How did yeah, that happen? He's an interesting individual. Interesting conversations. Some, and some reason why he went nuts? I don't know, old age. Who knows? And I was very shocked to find out he died. I, mean, I think he died and he didn't know it even. He was one of the last to know. Um, uh, former, former participants in Matt's radio show who are really close with him uh, mm -hmm. let us know. And we went to his services there at uh, Dantan's. One of his favorites. Well, Frank Hagen would not be going there. No, I don't. I don't know if Frank. I don't remember Frank being there. He may have. I don't know. Frank. Uh, Frank uh, Hagen uh, and Kip weren't pals either. Hmm. But Frank and Howard were very close. And it was Frank who told me about Howard's passing. It, uh, that yeah, was so quite the that was quite the soiree they threw at the, the comedy store. It's beautiful. Yeah. And I'm surprised that Marty didn't have lots of recordings on his uh, voicemail. Usually, <laughs> <laughs> when someone dies, we do an entire show on Matt's program devoted to playing messages of a Marty's message machine. Uh, no, no, no messages. So I uh, you've you've got this book that you're working on with uh, with Frank. You you're trying to fit to finish negotiations for stealing Manhattan uh broadcast rights. Uh yeah. what else do you have? Anything else you're doing? Besides, you well, know, barely see. surviving? Well, let's see, do a radio show called True Crime on Censor that I'll already with Mark C. G. Uh yeah, yeah. Um, Inconsequential. Okay, do it. Well, volume two of Stealing Manhattan, that picks up where the other one left off. 
I gotta write that too, so I have to stay alive to write that. I assume that most of the most of the material has been gathered for it. Well, yes, and that has been on the air. I think some of the interviews from this uh, radio program have been transcribed because there's one where he tells uh, Punch tells about financial scams that he did because he could print his own American Express cards and they would be validated like when you call the end to get the authorization codes right they would be validated but they weren't real very strange why well, yeah, let me uh, uh, I'll tell you a really long boring story as quickly as possible and uh, they used to do things like that they had like you wouldn't steal other people's accounts but names that were the same as theirs <laughs> um, like a, I am Pay, the famous architect He's 103 and you're 43. How does that work? Oh, Roman is <laughs> you know, like that. But he had all sorts of strange scams like that. But he always so, insisted yeah. on them being what he considered victimless crimes, where the insurance company took care of you. But on identity theft, even at that level, where you're not taking their money, just their identity, you can screw up their credit real bad or their image. Yeah, which Bunch had done to him. And so now he goes, it's not as an innocent crime as I thought it was when I was doing so let me let me fill, let me give you a little bank story. Um, the ad, the early advent of ATMs. What's that? The early advent of ATMs is a viable means of of self teller uh, operation. When you uh, you have an ATM and you have a card, so how do you do your testing? Well, uh, as the criminals know, there is a machine that can uh, take the uh, stripe, magnetic stripe on the back, and read it and rewrite it. And part of the testing plan is to have credit cards and ATM cards and so forth uh, tied to various accounts in the test system. And the machine was in a safe. Uh, in a lock in a lock keypad room, and two people and a man and a supervisor had to be in the room when you checked it out. You had to sign for it. You were escorted to the test area where you would go and create the cards for the testing, verify, and then you would return the device. And you and the cards themselves were not, were um, labeled and put in. Uh, a locked box with a key with a, a combination on it because the cards were real and if you if you uh, encoded a live account you could just take it and go to an ATM and get whatever cash was allowed but the, to, it, it was very interesting because you 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 had you you know it was it wasn't a very big device you know you just slide if you have a uh, a debit card. Yeah. Or a credit card, never, ever let your daughter or your son or your mother or anybody use it and give them the PIN code. Because if you do, that negates any claim you have when there is fraud on your account. Oh, I'll keep that in mind. So you go ahead and do it. But if you ask, have you ever given your debit card to your kid or your mom or your brother and told them to go down to the ATM and get some cash? Yes, you're screwed. All right, Mr. Burl Bear, when are you going to come back to L.A.? 
Excellent. I'll be live in the Light Up Lounge next Saturday. Well, be sure to lock the door, keep you away. Thanks for okay. talking to us. We'll see you next week. Burrow, can you okay, tell us next? what's next? <laughs> yes, Ben Allen and the Demons of Decadence live in the Light Up Lounge on OutlawRadioLive.com. You say I'm